Hi, I'm Eva Yovchivti Sheira. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Good Face Project. And what I love about beauty is the people behind the products. All the product makers, all the innovators, the dreamers who make amazing products and brands come to life and who fill our lives with beauty. From New York City, you're listening to Beauty is Your Business, covering the intersection of innovation and business in the beauty industry. Welcome to Beauty is Your Business. I'm Denise Dente, and I'm so excited to be here with our guest today, her and her company support some of the biggest and best beauty brands in the industry today and the retailers in the industry today. Companies like Hero Cosmetics, L'Oreal, Elf, retailers like Target, Detox Market, and more. So we are buzzing about how brands can formulate faster and more efficient than ever before. I'm here with my co-host, Jessica Quick. Hi, Jess. Hey, Denise, such a timely topic, right? Uh, Talking about efficiencies and how do we bring products and brands to market faster. So I know today's conversation is going to be a really good one, and I know really valuable to our listeners. It will be. And Eva, welcome so much to the show. Thank you for joining us. Oh, it's such a pleasure. Thank you for having me, both Jessica and Denise. Well, funny enough, we happen to be neighbors physically close to one another, which is very unusual. When we first started talking, it was rather funny to be able to say, oh, where are you based? And find out that we are just a few streets away from each other. So that makes it nice. But we're so intrigued with the Good Face Project and what it is that you're doing. I think where I'd like to start this conversation with our audience is a little bit about your background and how you started the platform. And then we'll you know, go into, obviously, some of the interesting parts of the platform. But I think your story of how you started your company is really interesting. I love this story because actually when I get to tell it again and again and again, it reminds me of all the reasons behind our company. And to me, it's very empowering. So I'm always very happy to share it. I'm an industrial engineer, a mathematician, and I also happen to have my MBA. And none of this screams beauty, of course. But I had some experience in the technology world and in the consulting world when I had the opportunity to work with many, many companies right after my master's in business administration. And that made me one of those, you could call me a Swiss army knife or a jack of all trades at the strategy level where companies very often hire folks like me to solve pertinent uh, for the time of day and the day of the week and the quarter of the year issues and questions and to advise strategy and to advise sometimes not just strategy, but also operations and organizational structure. And In 2017, I found myself working closely with the board of directors of one of the largest beauty companies in the world, exactly from that vantage point. I was a consultant to them. The really important question that they wanted to answer in our engagement was, why are the consumers that we 
bring to our brands, to our beauty brands, and we pay top dollar for biomarketing, why are they not coming back and repurchasing these products? What is happening? There is a shift and we don't know what it is. And we need to go from first principles and we need to figure out what it is that the consumer wants, because clearly it is not, you know, the same thing over and over and over again. My job was to speak with consumers and to really dig deep in terms of motivations, needs, things that even the consumers couldn't articulate to themselves. The job was to dig that out. So I ended up speaking with a total of 116 consumers in London in November of 2017. And my expectation from these consumers was that when you start talking one-on-one -on -one with each of us, we just want more performance. We just want lower prices. We just want more convenience. You know, it's very rare that I get really surprised when speaking with consumers. And this time was very, very different. People that I spoke with and I interviewed on behalf of this company came to me and they, about one third of them had specific ingredient questions. Things like, what is vitamin C and why is it good for my skin? Does it mix well with glycolic acid? What is this hyaluronic acid thing? It sounds like something that will dissolve my skin. Why is it good for me? Should I be using it during the day or at night? Should I be using it when I'm out in the sun? And also, does it have a place in my kid's sunscreen or in my teenage daughter's acne care? On and on and on and on. And the questions were all about the individual ingredients. And these consumers actually, the more I dug into it with them, the more I realized that actually they want not just education about specific ingredient, but they also want at the formula level reassurance that the formula has everything it needs to have and nothing more. Nothing on the side of hurting the environment, nothing on the side of potentially hurting their health over a prolonged period of time. And a lot of these consumers were talking about things like my cousin had breast cancer and the first thing that her oncologist told her was to stop using deodorant because of aluminum compounds in the deodorant as antiperspirant actives. Is this true? Should I stop using deodorant? Should I buy better deodorant? Where do I find it? What should I look for? Things like my friend is trying to get pregnant and her OBGYN told her that she needs to stop using certain cosmetics. To me, as a consumer, these questions were novel. I, as a consumer, had not asked any of these questions. I had not thought to do the research because from my point of view, if it was packaged in a pretty jar, and it was available for purchase, I don't know, at Sephora or at Ulta, then it was safe, right? Because we have laws, regulations, and all of these things. So I submitted my findings to this company, and I came back to the U.S., and I started looking into the space. First of all, cosmetics. I saw a huge growth trajectory. I mean, the cosmetics uh, and personal care industry, I'm sure it's not a surprise to anyone listening to this podcast, but it's on track to get to trillion dollars by 2030. It's a huge space. So the consultant in me got super excited. Then I looked at trends that were happening at that point in time, early 2018 in the United States. And that's when I saw that the hashtag clean beauty was growing at 600% annually on Instagram. 
And I said, well, what's that clean beauty? Like, is that what the answer to all of these consumer questions that I faced in the UK? So I started looking at who's providing this clean beauty. And of course, I found the clean beauty retailers like the detox market, Credo Beauty. I found nonprofits like uh, EWG with their seals and their own angles on sustainability and human safety. And the more I dug and I actually started looking up my own products and, you know, I started with my kid's sunscreen, which was a scarring experience because it had 71 ingredients in it. And I looked up every single one of them. And what I found just scared me so much. I mean, there were hormonal disruptors, carcinogen, there were, you name it, it was in there. I couldn't tell what percentage it was at and whether it mattered, but I'm a mother, you know, like for me, no percent actually is okay when there is a carcinogen in my kid's sunscreen. So all of a sudden it just snapped into a view for me that this inquiry that I observed in the UK is not an aberration. It is not a particular consumer segment that is limited just to the United Kingdom. It is not a consumer segment that is limited to a certain earning power or gender. And it was just a rising wave of consumer attention to the cosmetics and personal care industry. And then I had to ask myself, why is this happening now? What's happening? And my background from having worked with a lot of CPG companies before kind of reminded me of the food industry. And I was in first row at the stadium when we, the consumers, were turning the consumer industry of food upside down with our inquiry into ingredients and sourcing and how good it is for us and all of this stuff. And so I said to myself, well, I've seen this movie before and Actually, the whole business world has seen it. Food was the first one. We got done with it. You know, everybody that cares about it at this point in time knows exactly what to consume that is organic, what to consume that is local, and for what types of food not to care about what the source is, right? And so from that point in time, if we have already solved this problem, then the next frontier is the stuff that we put on our body not just the stuff that we put in our body. And that is personal care, cosmetics, and fashion. So to me, it was very interesting to kind of come up with this conclusion. And then finally, the third thing that kind of just completely put away any other ideas of technologies that I could bring to life was that when I was doing my research of my own product, I found that there's just really no standardized way of uh, naming ingredients. There are some nomenclatures, but many countries have their own. The mapping to them is iffy. And then the labeling requirements, specifically in the United States, are not strict. So you can call vitamin C ascorbic acid. You can call it by its Cas number. You can call it whatever you want on your label, whatever is going to sell more jars. And to me, that was the final straw because as an engineer, everything, I need to be looking at everything really neatly organized. And I need to know that I'm, you know, looking at this ingredient and this ingredient only. And I don't want to, as a consumer, have the opportunity or like be struggling with the thought that maybe if an ill-intentioned manufacturer wanted to hide a carcinogen from me, they could just name it by its technical name on the jar. That was kind of like what finally rounded up 
the whole idea from you, which was there has to be a source that is reliable, that is exhaustive, that is objective, and that is available to everyone in, an, in the industry, and that focuses on the scientific evidence about anything that has to do with cosmetic ingredients, whether it is the cosmetic benefit or the impact on our health or the impact on the environment, anything that is scientifically gettable and gotten needs to be in one place and needs to be very, very usable and flow, flow through the workflows of product makers, flow through the decision processes of merchants, flow through the choices of consumers and just kind of like surround, if you will, the industry with this ocean of intelligence that is not overwhelming and just the right amount of available. And at the same time, really, really focused on not having a soapbox to scream from, but actually like being very objective. So you've got this great data. You now feel very comfortable about what you're setting out to solve. So then comes the Good Face Project, which is your platform. Can you walk us through the Good Face Project and both the consumer side, like you've been talking about, because that was the first thing you were answering for, but also what we loved about it was the ability for brands and retailers to really use it. So can you walk us through that platform and what you really built? Sure. So right at the time when I decided that this was going to be it, that I was going to build, I met my co-founder, Liana, who is absolutely striking, absolutely the best and the most beautiful mind that I have ever met. And when I showed her the problem, she is a data scientist and actually as a rocket scientist, she used to be a, a researcher for the Ukrainian Space Research Institute, just got so in love with it. And this idea of creating almost like the Wikipedia, the Rosetta Stone of cosmetic chemicals. And so with her, we, we said, okay, like, let's start. Let's start from a place and start aggregating this data, start engineering our AI algorithms to aggregate it and to keep it fresh and to keep learning from the scientific world all of the time so that a digital twin of vitamin C can continue growing in dimensions of knowledge over time in our ontology. So we started, that was from the get-go, our goal. It was not really a productization goal, not really a monetization goal. It was about what it is that we will have a critical impact with in the industry. And then we let the monetization and the productization, if you will, come and emerge over time. So we were working really hard on the technology and while Lena was doing this, I was actually bootstrapping the development of our technology and I was doing more strategic consulting. I, at one point in time, a commercial officer, an interim commercial officer for a blood diagnostics device in Palo Alto. <laughs> it was just a crazy story. But this kind of like goes to say that we really were not rushing ourselves to figure out what is really going to be our business model. And we provided as much buffer as possible between building the core and answering this question. And by doing everything possible to bootstrap, 
I was just providing kind of like this blanket of protection around our baby, around our golden nugget of the ontology of cosmetic ingredients, which we have. This allowed us to first start with trying to answer the consumer question. So we launched a website that started screening products, product uh, ingredient lists, and being able to tag them with uh, four tags, if you will, each, each ingredient. Is it an allergen? Is it a, an irritant? Is it a hormonal disruptor? Or is it a carcinogen? And that's really the beginning. After that, we launched an app. And we quickly started to see that while the consumer has tremendous desire to answer these questions about any given product in the beauty industry, the time when information providers like us or like a consumer reviews magazine or like best reviews online or like Refinery29, you know, like all of these offerings that were informational, the consumer was not going to pay for them. And at best, brands or marketers would pay referral fees for highlighting their products. And we just didn't like that dynamic. We didn't think that, first of all, we didn't think it was a viable business model for us. And second, we didn't actually think that it was a very authentic business model to us because we didn't want to go collect money from the brands just to highlight their products. So... Quickly, we realized that we don't want to be a D2C solution in any way. And we started pursuing retailers as our next target. And we told them, listen, you know, we've been doing this decoding, if you will, of ingredient lists of products by ourselves, but we can actually take your catalog. We can drop it inside of our technology and we can spit it out with a whole bunch of tags for you. So if you have it doesn't matter whether vitamin C is listed as vitamin C or ascorbic acid. We can tag it as containing antioxidants, containing ingredients that help with regener regenerating collagen, and we can tag it with vitamin C. And this way, your beautiful search algorithms on your website will actually be able to surface more products to the customer that is searching, and you can have a better experience. So we started talking to, to retailers and we had a pretty, pretty good success rate with that. We actually were able to also get into the Target Tech Accelerator with this offering. And while we were talking to Target about that particular solution, we ended up having conversations first with the Target product development team for their owned brands, owned beauty brands, and then with other product development teams around the industry. And they were looking at our technology and they were like, well, why are you wasting it on just screening catalogs? You should put it in our hands so that we can screen products in the moment of making them. We could screen formulas in the moment of making them. And Liana and I were very interested in this. And we said, well, tell us more, tell us more, tell us more, tell us more. And so in the end of 2020, we basically already knew that there is this opportunity to create a formulation and regulatory solution for the industry at large and to put it in the hands of product developers, of formulation chemists, of regulatory chemists, of product development managers. We had this idea already and basically from the end of 2020 until March of 21 is how long it took us to actually create the first version of our innovation, formulation, and regulatory solution. And we launched it in March. And since then, we have 
had a tremendous growth trajectory. You mentioned some of our customers, but there are many, many more. We are the, the fastest growing platform for this type of product development in the industry. We're really loving the fact that we didn't know anything about this five years ago. And at this point in time, we're the preferred platform for the best in our industry. We feel honored. That's why we're excited to talk with you today is about that very topic that I opened this with, which is how brands can really formulate faster and more efficiently, particularly when they want to go into global markets. I know that this is what we have struggled with working with clients for years is they want to build a brand or they want to build a product that will satisfy a local market need, but also something that they can take global. And then we run into the regulatory and compliance situation, and then you're back in the lab again. And the length of time that it takes to bring a product to market is challenging. And I believe you solve for that. So can you kind of shed some light on that and how you are able to help brands create products more efficiently and faster? Yeah, thank you for this question. I mean, this is really the core of what we offer. This is our core value proposition. Um, we have a number of customers who are in the shoes of brands that you work with who are scaling a successful brand from North America to enter into Europe or from the U.S. to enter into Canada or just to stay on the right side of regulations that are popping up regionally in the United States, like Minnesota, like New York, Hawaii, all of the California regulations. So it's a very, very dynamic space in terms of regulations, regulators who are catching on to the fact that the European Union with its evidence-based regulatory framework is a very good one to follow, are starting to read the opinions of the, the scientific committee on consumer safety that is funded and sponsored by the European Union lawmakers. And they're, you know, starting to be more and more and more proactive in eliminating chemicals that are problematic from, from our products. And so with this in mind, chemists used to, even five years ago, used to be able to just have it in their minds that XYZ ingredient is a no-go for Canada and that ABC ingredient is not going to fly in Europe. That's no longer the case. At this point in time, just the latest European Union restrictions evolution added something like 126 new ingredients that are restricted at different levels of concentration according to different categories. So in baby, they might be completely banned. For face, they might be up to 5%. And for body, it might be up to X percent. So all of this complicates the table that a chemist needs to have in, in his or her head. And that's not a table that they can dimensionalize anymore or like remember all of the data points for. And so at this point in time, the regulatory chemist is becoming really the bad guy or gal because they come back and they say, listen, you have vitamin K. You can't go to the UK with this product. And this is a real example of a real, very, very big brand that struck out with their product launch at Sephora UK. And so when this happens 
at the 11th hour, forget about just the reformulation that you need to do, but you also are missing out on very, very real sales because at this point in time, the product, when you're trying to speed up your product life's creation cycle, you're no longer just a brand that is trying to prove its business model. You are out there to make market share happen. And okay, six months added to our launch timeline. How much money did we just lose in terms of revenue? Absolutely. I mean, you've lost the revenue of launching. You've lost the investment of what you've taken to pre-seed the market and get ready. You might have hired additional social or PR. You've done all these things to get ready for your launch that now have to be adjusted. And I can speak from the marketing side. This is what we dealt with a lot in our departments where you thought you were going to launch, it gets pulled. So the loss sales, the investment that's lost, but also you opened a door for competitors. And that was also really hard to stomach because now someone else could beat you to market with a concept, a product that you've been working on for a long time and just had to at the 11th hour change. So what I love about the Good Face Project is this opportunity to be more efficient and to, from the get-go, not lose that time, the money, and not give your competitors a chance to come in and win. And so I think there's a huge, not surprised by the success you've had because of the fact you've been able to solve for something in the market that all of us in the sales, marketing, and R&D side have struggled with for a long time. It's very strange, but our industry invests a lot in marketing and it's very good actually to hear your point of view as a marketer, Jessica, because we sell directly to R&D folks, right? So they're your poorer cousins in the organizations, you know, R&D gets 3% of the, of the budget this year and marketing gets 30. So these guys in R&D, they think that they need to be carrying two buckets of water and jumping through rings of fire every day and fighting the latest fire with the supplier and with the formulator and with the contract manufacturer. And the thing is that they really traditionally have been very starved of, first of all, technology. Second, almost training and awareness of scalable processes. And what we see in the industry is that those who successfully innovate are actually able to figure out what is the scalable process between my product developer, formulator, regulatory chemist, the labeling person, and my marketer, and to use technologies like ours to actually get it humming and to like stop thinking of it as a just an art because it is actually a science and it is actually a process and it is a business. So it has to be scalable and it needs to make sense. Let's say a brand knows that they need to formulate faster and more efficiently and they come to you. How do you get a brand started or how do you go through that initial process of showing them the advantages, showing them how to use it? Can you take us through some of that? Yeah, I mean, a brand can come purchase a license and jump in and start looking at possibly potentially screen all of their current product formulas because maybe they want to understand in which regulatory frameworks they already have viable distribution. Maybe they want to identify areas where they can immediately take their current product and launch it, right? 
maybe they want to assess risks of their current portfolio vis-a-vis emerging regulatory frameworks. Maybe they want to do a little bit of a benefit analysis on their formulas and see where their contract manufacturer or formulator just took a white label formula and tweaked it a little bit, and they can see that there's a doppelganger in the market that has basically the same ingredients, and they should be aware of that. So there are a whole bunch of strategic and risk and regulatory assessments that the brand can do today. Just give them a login, and immediately they can do it in our software. And then for those who want to scale a whole PD team to work, and to basically be doing the whole raw material validation process and then the formulation process and then the regulatory requirements. And finally, claim validation. That is a bit more time and sometimes it can range up to two months just to establish the new processes inside of their organization. Not that the technology needs it, but they need to, we are introducing new ways of work for them. And so that's, you know, it really depends on where the customer would like to start. Our solution is available on the cloud and people use it while we're sleeping in China, in in Australia, in Paris. So it's just about meeting them where they are and understanding what their needs are and matching those to the features of our solution. I can already see how many different levels that this can impact from R&D and formulation where I love how you talked about where you can immediately expand distribution based on what you have, or even know if you're already in the middle of formulating how it could be essentially tweaked a little bit more to get into a channel that you may want to be in. I find this super interesting. I know we only got to touch the surface of what the Good Face Project does and what you offer this industry. If our listeners want more, I'd love to have you back at some point, but if they want more right now, how can they go about connecting with you or connecting with the Good Face Project? We're only uh, an email away. I'm at eva at thegoodfaceproject.com. And Eva is spelled with an I, I-V-A. Well, thank you so much for this quick, brief conversation around this very rich and robust topic. I think that we could go on for quite a long time talking about all the benefits of what this can do, but I think it's a great first step to having people reach out to you, take a look at the website, and start to get more informed about what information is out there. If you are in an NPD situation or you want to go global and you need to know all the regulatory things and parts and pieces to formulas, I think it's a great place to start. So. We want to thank you for being on the show. We want to encourage people to go to the website and so forth. So thank you so much. It was a true pleasure. Thank you for having me. And if you want to keep buzzing with us, head on over to buzzbeauty.com. This has been Beauty Is Your Business, produced by Mouth Media Network. Keep in touch on Instagram and Facebook at Mouth Media Network. And find prior episodes at beautyisyourbusiness.com and wherever the best podcasts are found. Your brand message can be on this show. Email us to find out more at podcast at mouthmedianetwork.com. Thank you for listening.